1: welcome anyone who tunes in today or tunes in in the future, as uh, there will be a replay of this available. This is the first room I've ever hosted, so i um, not sure exactly how to use it, but I'll figure it out and learn as I go. And I wanted to get a conversation started about some of the positive aspects of bipolar. And um, for myself, I've discovered quite a few. And I think there are many human potential aspects that come up as an exploration. Um, In my experience, it wasn't um, having some human potential quality or skill or ability and then mastering it at the same time. It was more becoming aware that that was a potential and then um, later on it would be up to me to go about finding out if it was something that I could embody in everyday life or make into a skill in the material world. Because my initial impression was more in an ethereal world, a dreamlike world of mania or even psychosis. And another thing I like to do is apply positive psychology to bipolar. And the reason is that if I can look upon my experiences, with a positive lens, even if they maybe negative experiences or would be called negative or felt as negative or, or bad, if I can at least remain neutral or curious or um, even maybe positive about it, then it could take on a different shape or trajectory um, from that time on. So, for example, if an airplane is just one degree off course, it can end up many, many, many miles off target um, by the time it finishes its journey. And that's just a one degree change. So in my mind, I feel like with the positivity lens, I can change my experience or my trajectory from that experience even one degree whatever that correlates with in um, like life experience terms. It's kind of hard to measure, but sometimes it can be seen. Um, For example, when I went through some fearful experiences, if if I remained unafraid of the fear, it didn't spiral. If I was able to not be afraid of the fearful experience and add another layer of fear to the experience, it actually just sort of petered out and went away. Whereas if in the past, if I let it spiral, it's something that would lead me to have to go to the hospital or something. And another aspect is it seems to me like there's a bit of a metamorphosis going on in mania. So it's very different. The state is very different. There's, um, you know, different events happen, different things are salient or um, important in the state of mania than would be in regular waking consciousness. And to me, that's not... A bad thing. It's it's different, and it is a change in many different aspects and dimensions, and that can lead to a lot of different experiences. And in those experiences are many different behaviors that we maybe wouldn't typically do, and uh, some of them are are opportunities, and some of them are risks. And it's very hard to decide what's what in that state. Um, from what I've experienced, it's partly because um, of the intensity. It's very intense and the feelings are very intense and rich. So they feel very truthful, even if, um, even if maybe they're not, um, because of how intense it is. So... Something that's way more intense in mania feels like real, whereas our normal experience of feelings might be way less. And so it's easy to not act on them. There's not um, as much of an impulse. But I do feel that there is a metamorphosis. like some people experience it like a switch. and all of a sudden there's mania. It's not like gradual. Um, But everyone's experiences are different and I'm speaking from my own experience and not only that but from my learning and a lot of these things that I've um, learned have come over time and with experience and with reality testing so I didn't maybe think of these things um, in the very beginning but over time I, I, I basically found um, a language that I want to use to describe what I experience. And it's not about excluding the current language, but it's about adding a lot more language to go with it. And so part of, part of what I've talked about so far is you know, human potential and positive psychology Well, that's not something that's usually bridged to bipolar disorder. But for myself, I've built those bridges to these other studies to find what parts of those studies and... um, uh, I don't know what they call them, like academic, semi-academic. Some of it's semi-academic, some of it's pseudo-academic. Some of it is um, just trying to link one's intuitions and feelings and perceptions and insights to something that the world already has discovered in science or in general. Um, because for me, I think it's very limited to only uh, mainly apply um, medical science and you know, psychiatric science to the um, experiences. It's very limited. For me, I do take medications and I've had different hospitalizations and things over the years, but I didn't want to use that as a reason to only encapsulate my experience with an illness lens. Uh, partly because my initial experiences before I was diagnosed did not feel like it could be reduced only to a mental illness. Um, there was so much synchronicity and spirituality and um, richness. And there was, you know, scary stuff too that eventually led me to um, be hospitalized. But that to me did not negate the the good stuff and the beautiful that happened. And I still wanted to go back and, and look at what I had um, come to in those experiences before I even was given the, the label of bipolar disorder. And I did do just that. Um, well, the first time I did write out 700 pages of notes that I wrote, like I was very impelled to write. And what I wrote was kind of like channeled and I didn't really know where the information was coming from I just felt like writing it down or saying it out loud which was talking to myself about these things or making audios and all this and I kind of documented it and I'm glad that I did and I've never gone through that initial um, set of information that came to me but I still have it And then, you know, in in subsequent experiences, more came through me. And some of it would have been new, and some maybe overlapped with the previous stuff. But it's like the same kind of message wanted to always come through me. So to me, that has meaning, at least in my own subjectivity. And I'm not um, wanting to say that, what I, I came to or what came to my awareness was important for everyone or anything like that. But it does add something for me to um, look into in my own experience. And I think I wanted to add another point to that, but I don't exactly remember. And that's Okay. That's actually part of my process is not holding on too tightly to anything that I say or anything that comes into my awareness. Because if I over identify with it, then now the next thing has no room to come in to my awareness because it's um, kind of being clung to. So my process is to write it down. If um, I don't write everything down anymore but um if i happen to be able to write something down then i'll write i'll write it down so it's on a piece of paper and i don't have to think about it in my in my brain um so the metamorphosis um the change in behavior and for me it's about learning iteratively with each um mania or psychosis or whatever that would happen, and I feel like I've gotten myself to the point where I can be a little bit manic all the time, so even in my daily life, I can have um, information channeled through me and write it down, I don't only have to be in mania, and I attribute that to looking into the subjective meaning that I've created Within myself, and um, I feel like the more I've gone into the things that I've written down, that pretty much have nothing to do with me anyway, it's build out, um, built out a vast context of meaning. That it's in like it's in my brain, you know, or it's in my reality, or it's in my aura, or wherever it is. So to me, it's like a buffer for anything that could come into my awareness that um, maybe is a bit shocking or would be a shock if I didn't have all this context. So for example, if I wrote out 700 pages while I'm in mania, and I go back and I read it, and as I read stuff, more comes to my mind like after the fact when mania is over. And I kind of fill that in and keep going like that. I've built my understanding um, in regular consciousness alongside what I was writing down when I was in a non-ordinary state that um, sort of came from an unknown source. It didn't come from being stored in my brain cells already. So it kind of creates a lot of neuroplasticity, I think, and maybe even neurofluidity. I think that might be something that comes up in the future is um, neuroplasticity is even a bit too slow. Um, and it's, it's, it goes along with, you know, slowly changing beliefs or slowly, or maybe rapidly changing one belief or something like that. But if we can have a very fluid and open mind we can be very flexible and adaptive in each moment and um, it's apparent that that could be a necessary future skill because of how fast things change um, so the process of being able to um, understand from our own point of view is, is important because A lot of our brain right now is mixed up with um, secondary points of view that we get from other sources and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that per se Um, but in the future it's going to be um, a pretty much a useless skill I think so um, being able to figure out from our own subjectivity is going to be very important. Um, And so uh, the next thing is about emergent, diverse abilities. And that's a little bit similar to the metamorphosis. All of a sudden there's this change and then Um, I don't know about you, but for me, all of a sudden I could do things that I didn't even think I could do or never had tried to do. And um, there were things that I thought I could do, but I wasn't sure. And um, so again, just getting a hint of that and uh, making note of it. And they could be things that we can develop if we choose to in um, mainstream time and mainstream material reality. Maybe we can't develop all of them, but in my experience, altered states are states of becoming aware of possibilities. And we can act on those possibilities in the altered state, and that leads to more possibilities and more possibilities, and that is part of what creates such chaos. Or we can... um, not act on those possibilities and make note of them or be a little bit more uh, choosy about which possibilities that we go with and um, in that state a lot of times almost everyone can offer us some kind of possibility and when we say yes to everything that can get us in trouble because it's not necessarily what is our possibility to live out and that's part of what I learned over time. And, and there's always the negative and the dark and the evil possibilities that can come up, right? And those are a challenge. Sometimes we feel like we're being tested. I've felt like that. And it can feel like um, being paralyzed sometimes because it's hard to do the right thing in a society that is built in many wrong ways. I'm, I'm not trying to put all the blame on outside or anything, but it's like trying to swim in quicksand. Like, it's like trying to, um, do a swimming race in quicksand. It's just not really the right medium for that activity. And, um, recently I realized, um, Something that could be helpful, at least for myself in the future when these things come up, is that um, maybe you've heard of the good, the true, and the beautiful. And um, I found Terrence McKenna, a quote of his, he was saying, uh, the the good, or he said, the true, tricky, tricky, uh, the good, trickier. Or maybe it was reversed, and then he said, "The beautiful, easy to discern." Um, so he was making the point that the beautiful is a lot easier to discern than what's true or what's good. And I connected it to how, in mania or psychosis, the um, it is hard to tell what's good. Because a lot of it, it feels good or it feels bad, but we don't, like, it's hard to really know. It's confusing. Is this a good thing to do? Um, You know, maybe something could be pleasurable, but it's not great for someone else. Um, is it good to spend all my money? Yeah, maybe. Um, so, and then we don't really know exactly what's true. Like, everything, again, because it feels in- intense, it can feel more true than our usual state or our, you know, our regular state of consciousness. Um, But it's a little bit easier to think of beauty. Like, is it beautiful to hurt someone, you know, physically or something? Just, you know, taking an extreme example. It's like, no, because I've had thoughts at times saying that I should harm this person. And I didn't. Um, I didn't want to. I didn't think that was a good idea, um, you know, a good idea. But at the same time, you know, harming someone is not a beautiful thing to do. Because um, a lot of times we try to think, or we might think, well, a thought is saying that, so I have to do it. Um, and I'm, it's a lot more complex than that, obviously. But I just wanted to put it out there as another tool for Um, measuring some of these um, trickier things that can happen or can come up Um, because in a way it is a little bit like a test, right? If I would have harmed a person at that time, um, that would have been a a really different trajectory. It would have been way more than one degree and I, you know, I didn't fall for it. Um, You know, and we say falling for a trick, you fell for it. Well, it's kind of like falling from grace a little bit and I'm not trying to say um at the same time when we when we do make those mistakes I think there's a lot of forgiveness and healing that can come afterwards too so you know I've done the whole like yelling at a friend thing and having to apologize there's a lot of things times to apologize um so um, yeah, there's a, and there's a lot of trauma that goes with before and during the experiences. So um, again, this is just open talking, and I'm talking from a perspective of um, eleven years of learning since I was diagnosed. And um, and another thing is that. There is definitely um, a change in consciousness, you know, and that goes again with the metamorphosis. I don't know about you, but I feel like a totally different, I don't know if I feel like a totally different person, but it feels like a different world. It feels like a different medium. It feels maybe like the difference between you know watching a movie and being an actor in a play. Um, it feels very participatory, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people out there are looking for different states of consciousness or altered states of consciousness, and I remember getting an email from the flow genome project a few years ago and they sent an infographic of the altered states of consciousness economy and they calculated it was like a some me else, pretty much anything like taking vitamins maybe or certain supplements or illicit drugs or so many different things and people are trying to alter their state of consciousness and in mania or when one shifts into mania, when I shift into mania, all of a sudden my consciousness is altered but I didn't necessarily do anything economically to make that happen. So it's an altered state that's not part of the economy. I think people who have bipolar, they can do something to go into mania, but it doesn't have to be anything. There's no there's no real cause. It's not like one takes a... Um, mushroom or something and you know then all of a sudden there's in this altered altered state and it's going to come to an end in a couple hours or whatever it's not that simple and so we don't really know what the cause is per se Um, there has been causes put out there for sure and there are causes that are advertised to us and other people um but for me, it's it's more like, well, what's the purpose of these states, you know? Why do people try to alter their state of consciousness? So if there's a purpose in that, I think there's a purpose in the non-volitional altered states of consciousness as well. Um, but there's not going to be a purpose if we don't um, take it that way and see it that way. And the great thing about the purpose is we can still address the cause as it is said to be and and get that type of help to be able to try to function in the mainstream way even though it's very hard to fully go back to that after a non-volitional altered state but a lot of it can be um, redeemed or recuperated for me it's been important to also look into the purpose of why it's changing, why my consciousness is changing, and what it's trying to um, communicate, or what it's trying to tell me, or what it's trying to get me to change. Um, you know, so if I have an experience where you know a thought tells me to harm someone and I don't, because I know that that's not a good idea, um, you know, i I actually made sure that I wouldn't do anything, and I just and There was a feeling that something might happen to me if I don't, there was no voice, but it was like, and I was like, well, I don't care. Go ahead and do something to me. I'm not going to do anything. So, um, I don't know what I was really going to say with that, but, um, again, the change in consciousness, it's like learning something, right? And that's not really a real life situation where it's kind of a weird situation where there's this feeling of harm, harm could happen and then not acting on it. But it, within that dimension of mania and psychosis and within that realm, I made it so that wasn't going to happen. That wasn't going to be part of what could happen. So, um, I think there's a lot of lessons that can happen, and that's um, part of the learning, right? It is a little bit like a test, I do believe. And like I was saying before, even if the even if one doesn't pass the test, then it's okay. Like there will be, we don't need to give up. There's always going to be another chance and iteration. Uh, as long as we make sure that we keep our body together, we like, we can really, we can really do a lot. And um, so a lot of what I did for figuring some of this out is what I'm doing right now was really talking with myself, um, mainly because therapy is really expensive. And I talked to myself for lots of time, like hundreds of hours, and just saying these things out loud to myself and letting my own brain hear it and not only keeping it inside is a feedback mechanism, I think. And it's also a feedback mechanism to write things down and then also look at it again later. That's a, you know, a meta process, looking at it after the fact and then um, from there, uh, writing it down and then saying it that out loud. so there's lots of different layers of things that we can do to um, you know, entertain these ideas and entertain these these memes, you know, I think there's a lot of memes. Or information. I'm not talking about the memes like the internet memes, but memes in terms of cultural units of communication. And I think a lot of them come to us in mania because we're in an informationally open state. And um, just writing them down is like acknowledging that these memes want to make themselves known in life and the memes that are part of the network thought of the collective human consciousness are the ones that have gotten in you know and then there's ones that are you know kept out of our awareness and when we get a big download of these there could be some of them that we do need in our culture and when we when we just think about something like like the colonization of indigenous peoples, like they had wisdom that um, was just pushed to the outside and taken out. And those are things, those are like wisdom that we need now. Um, and we needed the whole time, but the, that wisdom is still there. It's just not in, um, you know, not in the collective and I feel that some people are sensitive and they're picking up on these things. Um, and there's already beings out there who understand these things and always did. So, and, and there's even more to understand. Um, and I'm not trying to say that I'm an expert on any of that because I'm really not. I just wanted to um, say that there is wisdom that is lost and there's wisdom that has not yet been found. And everything in between. And I see myself as like a channel of a whole range of memes and information that I personally don't know where it's from. I don't know if it's from the past or from the future. I'm more just like a scribe. I don't think that my brain has the possibility to be able to process it all and make sense of it. Um, I do have the ability to write it down when like a full sentence comes into my mind. I can do that. Um, So, and then I can also try to make sense of my process that I'm doing and what role that is playing in my life and could play. Um, I imagine that if more more of us got our content that we have been given together um that could be like a proof that there's something more you know of course it can all be dismissed as um, as a mental illness but to me that's the same as dismissing like the way that the indigenous peoples were um, dismissed and all their wisdom was dismissed it's just well that's You know, I don't even know what they would call it, but, um, you know, they kept the land. um, They knew they were part of the land, right? And now I only learned recently that this land that I live on is like, it would be totally different if it wasn't all like levied and all these dams and things to keep the water from doing its living thing that it would do like changing the way the river shaped and all this stuff like this wouldn't be habitable land it would be but only by people living with the land um instead of resisting it um so it's really interesting to to understand that so we need we need a balance Like I wasn't planning to say that part and I almost feel, um, I feel ridiculous saying it because I really know nothing. Um, I don't even know anything about what I think I know. And um, that's okay too. So, so yeah, I, I hope some of this is helpful. and. It's been helpful for me to really look into things and I'm really interested in philosophy and, um, you know, nutrition and I don't know about mindfulness, but um, I think that we can build a lot of bridges to things that are called, um, you know, bipolar, or what have you. And um, I like bridging it to, you know, physics or quantum physics, and it's all in a very loose way. It's not meant to be like, this is the truth, maybe it can be seen as a beautiful connection, you know, connecting something to human potential. Uh, An example of that is Human Potential, they talk about flow states, or that's one studies, flow states of consciousness. And I've done some reading on it. And a lot of times, it's related to the flow of, you know, um, extreme or professional free type of athletes and their creativity and, you know, say, um, extreme... Or free skiing, or so many different things, and you know, people they go into flow, they go into a selfless, timeless, effortless, rich state, um, and that I that I heard from Stephen Kotler of the Flow Genome Project, and um, so there's a lot of research on like how to get into flow, how to go in this effortless. Timeless, rich, selfless state. And I have related flow to mania, and I I call mania overflow because it's almost it's too much flow, um, too much information. Um, and you know, you think about people say doing extreme skiing, or maybe um, when they do the wingsuits and all that, it's almost like too much gravity, right? Um, it's too much gravity for most people people to deal with. Like most people can just go down a slope like some of those um, athletes do or go into a wingsuit like that. It's too much gravity. So the, the flow that happens in, in mania in a way is like too much information. And um, one of the physical correlates of that is that our pupils get large sometimes. Someone can have very large pupils, and you know when the pupils are larger, that means more information is entering and hitting, entering the eye and hitting the retina. And the retina is an extension of the brain, so the brain um, is processing more information. It's like too much information, in the same way that it's too much gravity for the extreme athletes, but they are adapted to it. The extreme athletes, but we're not adapted to that much information, as humans. And, um, you know, maybe we are supposed to get adapted to that, maybe we're not. Um, But it's more, you know, if somebody's having in a too much information state, we can, uh, we can design ways to create a safe container for that, and allow a person to, you know, harvest and process that information that comes through rather than um, People wandering unsafely in daily life, and then that creates even more too much information because um, of the experience. So, for example, early on when I would experience mania, I would act on a lot of things, you know, in synchronicities. Um, but later I learned if, if I got a piece of information, I can just write it down. I don't have to go with it. Um, and so I could be more um, discerning. But initially, it's, it's not really safe for people to be manic and out and about in society because it's a vulnerable state. It's, um, I, don't, I don't think it's completely selfless and um, the self is usually equated with the ego. I think there's a lot of ego that tries to come in and, and sabotage things, um, but I do think it's a selfless state in it, the way that when there's too much information coming into the system it's the same as too much gravity there's no there's no room for thinking about the normal things that we would machinate in our minds like that we would chew on in circles in circle circular loops so um that in that way it's selfless because the self can't really help in that situation to process all that new information it's more of a hindrance because if it takes something, takes some new piece of information or um, big piece of information coming in and thinks that it has something to do with the self, it'll make a, more of a mess of it. So imagine if somebody starts thinking about what they're going to have for dinner when they're skiing down a slope. Like there's no, that could be um, death, you know, that, that, ex, that extreme sport and that situation and that gravity, you know, makes a person lose the sense of their self or the sense of time in terms of what am I going to do later? They're very much in the moment and um, it's a rich experience. Um, selfless, and it's, you know, it takes effort, but it they also have to have a certain effortlessness in that they are physically capable of doing that um, sport. So um, with overflow and mania, we're not physically capable and physically adapted to moving in a mainstream physical reality with that amount of information coming into our mind, um, you know, into our awareness, um, for that long. And so it does come to an end. It does, it can end in a psychosis or, you know, depression or, um, during mania getting, um, um, taken into the hospital or something because of bizarre behavior. Um, and the bizarre behavior from, from my point of view is because of different information, different things are salient. And when we're encountering information, um, you know, an energy or experiences that we don't usually have in our awareness, then, um, we act differently. So I think this is all part of the learning. Um, I feel that one can be manic and, and still kind of go about life. But it takes um, practice and understanding. And this is why I, this is a part of the current paradigm that I don't, um, I think is as helpful is the thought of not trying to learn to, um, adapt to some of it. It's about resisting it. It's about stopping it. It's about trying to make it not come back. And if there are signs that it's coming back to be afraid. So, um, and that makes, you know, if we're afraid, then, then what we would experience is going to be, um, put into a negative bias. So uh, to me, mania is a very extreme positive bias. And um, so we can learn about that as well. But we need to also learn to not be afraid. Um, Again, it's the fear of the fear. Um, I watched a YouTube video by Rupert Spira called Why Are You So Afraid of the fear. And one time I was in a crisis and I found it really helpful because I listened and there was this, you know, terrible fear and this terrible like pain in my body and everything. And I, I listened along and I realized that there's a fear and then there's this me being afraid of it and not liking it and resisting it. And when I was able to get rid of the fear of whatever was happening, it went away and it dissipated um, rather quickly. And had I kept resisting it, um, maybe that wouldn't have gone away so fast. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge to decouple the fear from the fearful experiences. And the interesting thing too, is when the fear gets decoupled, sometimes experience changes from fearful to something else like maybe there's something else there maybe behind the fear and the fear resisting the fear there is a rich unfolding of something that can um, come into awareness after but it can't when it's um, fear only so there's lots to it and lots to learn and I find this learning really fun, and really interesting, and I'm always learning. So, I don't know if anyone wants to share. I think we have an hour. There's a little bit something noisy outside the window. So I don't know if I need to do a certain amount of time for this. Uh, Let me see. I guess I can end it. So yeah, if you have any questions about anything, let me know and I will set up another room and hopefully we can Have more of a conversation, then I am very used to talking to myself because I did that a lot, and I'd love to talk to you as well